Welcome back to the John Summer Challenge. Today is day two of the John Summer Challenge, and we are in John chapter 1, verses 19 through 51. Let me ask you first, are you familiar with a man named Michael Buffer? Michael Buffer. Maybe you're not familiar with the name, but I'm sure you're probably familiar with his work. This guy was born in Philadelphia in 1944. He served in the Vietnam War. He worked as a car salesman. And after that, he became a model. Sounds like my life, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but what he's most known for is what he has made millions of dollars doing is saying these five famous words. Let's get ready to rumble. You've heard that before? Let's get ready to rumble. And he screams that and he shouts it. And that's what he's famous for. He's a boxing announcer. He says that at the beginning of every match and he makes millions doing it. And nobody knows, nobody cares about what his name is. They just want to hear him say those five words. Let's get ready to rumble. Well, today we're going to hear of another famous announcer. This guy, his name is John the Baptist, and we read about him yesterday already. But John is not concerned with fame. He doesn't want people to be concerned with who he is. He wants people to know and hear about the one he is proclaiming, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And so, we'll split up today's passage in two parts, and we'll try to go fast. Number one, announcing the Savior in verses 19 through 37. And number two, seeking the Savior in verses 38 through 51. First, announcing the Savior, verses 19 through 37. Yesterday, we got a glimpse of this grasshopper eater, pointer finger, John the Baptist, Today, let's get a little bit more background on him. He lived in the desert, far away from society until he began his ministry. He lived, ate, and dressed as if he was poor. You look at him, there's nothing special about him. There's nothing fancy or flashy about him like Michael Buffer. John, though, was the greatest preacher of his day. Matthew 3, 5 tells us that large crowds would gather from Jerusalem and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, and they flocked to hear his message, which was always the same. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And just like his name indicates, he baptized people in water immersion. John was an amazing man of God. He was an excellent preacher. But what's most amazing is not who he is, but who he was announcing. You got to know that there has been a long period of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 400 years of silence from God. 400 years of hearing nothing from God, no prophets, no nothing. And now here is John the Baptist, the first preacher of the New Testament. And people are wondering, who is this guy? Who is John? 
Everyone is trying to figure out who he is. And so the priests and the Levites, they flock to him and they keep asking, who are you? They are expecting and thinking that John is the Messiah that they have been longing for all of this time. But John says, no, I am not the Christ, which means Messiah. I am not the Messiah. Well, then they ask, are you Elijah? Now, why do they ask this? They think this because in the last chapter of the last paragraph uh, of the last chapter of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter four, it says that Elijah, the prophet, will be coming. But he says, no, I am not Elijah. Okay, then they ask, are you the prophet? And they're referring to when Moses promised the coming of a prophet. But John again says, no, I'm not him. Finally, they're getting fed up with him. They ask him one final time, who are you? Give us something. Give us an answer. What do you say about yourself? So John the Baptist finally responds by quoting Isaiah 40, verse 3. Look in your Bibles. John 1, verse 23. He says, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As Isaiah the prophet said. John responds by saying, I am just a voice. I am just the announcer. Stop worrying about who I am. The real Messiah, the real one is coming. No, he's not coming. He's already here. The Messiah is here. John wants all of the attention off of himself and onto the Messiah who has arrived. Complete humility by John the Baptist which we see even further in verses 26 through 27. John is the most powerful and popular preacher people have ever seen in 400 years. But he says that he is not even worthy to untie the sandals of the one whom is to come, the one whom he is preparing the way for. To untie a man's sandal is to wash their feet and only something slaves would do. So John is saying that he is even lower than a slave, unworthy to untie and wash his feet. So John had a very low view of himself and in turn shows us that he has a very high view of God. Remember that teeter-totter illustration. One teeter-totter side goes up, the other side goes down. And the same is true with our relationship with God. If we want a high view of God, then our view of ourselves must be made low. So we must understand our position before the King of the universe, the one who created all things. Is your view of God this way. Let me ask you, is your view of God so distorted because your view of yourself is way far too high? We got to be like John the Baptist, having a high view of God and a low view of ourselves in comparison. 
He'll go on to say in John 3, verse 30, He must increase, Christ must increase, but I must decrease. Now, let's look at what happens when the John the Baptist finally sees the one whom he has been preaching about and whom he has been preparing the way for all of these years. In verses 29 through 34, he says in verse 29, when he finally sees Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then he says in verse 34, I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. He's finally here. John has been preparing the way for him, and now he announces the Lamb of God has arrived. You remember maybe me telling you a story of when I was younger, I was so prideful, I dressed up like a king, right? And I stood in front of the mirror, I had a robe on, I had a crown on, and I had this makeshift staff that I found in the garage that had a, a really sharp pointy tip at the end. And I was standing in front of the mirror and I was giving it a nice pose, you know, I was posing, just staring at myself. And I lift up the staff and I shove it to the ground, but actually I shove it right in my toe. I look down, I take it out of my toe, and all of a sudden my toe is gushing blood everywhere. I run to the bathroom, try to fix it myself, but leaving behind a trail of blood, leaving terrible, terrible stains, really bad stains. And no matter how, many, how, mu how much convincing these cleaners, these carpet cleaners might try to convince you by, there is no perfect stain remover, right? They all just get like part of it out of the carpet, but not totally. And so my parents were pretty upset with me. But actually, there is one perfect stain remover described here in the Bible, in our passage. And John preaches about him. There are stains too bad to clean. The toughest, the most permanent stain though, is our sin. That stain is permanent. And so, there is one who can take away, who can cleanse even this stain. And it is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God. But what does this mean? Back in the Old Testament, sacrifices would be made in order to please and worship God. Lambs would be slaughtered. Sin could only be removed by bloody sacrifices. Well, Isaiah 53 says that one day a lamb would come and be slaughtered and that lamb would cleanse us from our sins. Jesus is that lamb. He is the lamb of God who was slaughtered in order to cleanse us from our sins. You and I, without Christ, are stained with sin. And the only way that we can enter the kingdom of heaven is if we have these stains removed, if we are cleansed and made completely clean. Jesus' death and resurrection makes that possible. If you would believe in him, he will take away your sins. He will make you white as snow. 
John wants you to recognize Jesus, that he is the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Son of God. So that's point number one, announcing the Savior. And now point number two, seeking the Savior in verses 38 through 51. In these final verses of our passage, we encounter a sort of paradox, meaning there is a truth found here that seems to contradict itself, but really it makes total sense because the Bible does not contradict itself. These truths work in complete and perfect harmony. And it is this, in verses 38 through 51, we see that there are two disciples of John the Baptist who hear about Jesus and they choose to follow after him. They, the disciples, seek after Jesus. After this, we see that Jesus seeks after a man named Philip and even draws another man named Nathaniel to himself. And so the question I want to ask is, does God seek sinners for salvation or do, do sinners seek God for salvation? The answer is yes, right? Both truths are correct. Because of our total depravity, we are completely helpless and there would be no salvation unless God provided it for us. The truth is that God first seeks us. He initiates salvation. And so salvation is only made possible because God did all the work and he chooses and seeks after those whom he will save. There is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. At the same time though, you cannot be saved unless you Put your faith in Christ. And you say, whoa, but I thought it was all God. I thought God does all the work. I thought it was all him. And that's true. But at the same time, you have a responsibility to repent and believe in the gospel. This is what the Bible commands all sinners to do, to repent and believe in Christ. That is your responsibility. And so you can't just say, well, God is completely in control. He is. God will do all the work. And so I'm just going to sit here on the couch, eat my pizza rolls, and hopefully one day God will save me. No, you have a responsibility. The Bible commands you today to repent and believe in Christ for salvation. Both are true. And even if it's hard to understand how it works, God is sovereign. He does all the work in salvation. He initiates first, but man is still responsible. And we must still respond to the gospel. So, this is a truth that we can rejoice over. Because if it were not God who first sought us, we would never be saved. And now that we know that it is our responsibility to seek after Christ ourselves at the same time, we also know that the Bible says those who genuinely seek after Christ will never be turned away. 
if you have a genuine heart that wants to follow God, then He will accept you. John 6 verse 37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Perhaps God is calling you to Himself today. The Lamb of God who takes away sin. Will you respond in repentance and faith today? Well, that's our devotional for today. Now you have three questions to answer back on our website. They are these. Number one, what characteristics of John the Baptist should we learn from and seek to imitate in our own lives? What should you learn from how we, John the Baptist uh, presented himself and what he cared about? Number two, what does it mean that Jesus is the Lamb of God? And why is that so important for us? And number three, does God seek sinners or do sinners seek God? Try to explain that to me. Submit your answers to those questions and you will be done with day numero dos of the John Summer Challenge. So I'll see you tomorrow.